All right. As we uh, continue our study in the Presbyterian Reformed Church, focus now on the Reformed part. And we're looking at Sola Fide today. I want you to turn, if you would, your copies of God's Word to Luke 18. Reading there, verses 9 through 14. Give attention to God's word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted let's pray father we ask that you'd be with us that you'd guide us as we now study this very important doctrine very briefly sola fide only faith or by faith alone guide and direct us we ask this in jesus's name amen so last time we um as we were going through the five solas this is our question for today what must i do to be saved um you can go back i can go to the next slide Reviewing the five solas, what we've been through so far. First, sola scriptura. Secondly, solas Christas. Thirdly, sola fide, by faith alone. Fourthly, sola gratia, by grace alone. And finally, sola deo, gloria. Glory to God alone. This is, again, a summary of Reformed teachings. And we're using this as we describe the Reformed church uh it's not that the reformers came up with these solas but other theologians considering a a quick way to refer to what the reformers did came up with these five solas so next slide uh when we talk about sola scriptura we think this way that everything necessary for man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. So that's the idea behind sola scriptura, only Scripture, by Scripture alone. Man's salvation, faith, and life. Next slide. Solas Christus was not the person of Christ, but the work of Christ that was at issue. The sacramental system in Rome had injected 
into salvation, things that were not in scripture, an elaborate system of priests and sacramental works. And the reformers came back to scripture and said, no, no, it's, it's Christ alone. Not this elaborate system of priests and sacramental works that saves. So next slide. Today, we're looking at sola fide. How can I be saved? That's that question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas. And the answer was, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last time when we were talking about solas Christus, we kind of got into sola fide, into that category as we looked at James and we're wondering, is there a conflict in Scripture where James talks about justification by works? Kind of, not really. Paul speaks of just, justification by faith. Was there a conflict? And we worked through that. We saw that, no, there's not a conflict. That as we look at it in the context in which they were writing, they were writing about similar things, but not exactly the same things. We understood that, in fact... Justification is by faith alone, and that faith is shown by the works that God has given us to do, that he's planned in advance for us before time began. So today we're focusing on sola fide, which we may say, well, I thought we did it last week. In a sense, we did. Today we're going to be looking at very plainly, not a contrast or a perceived contrast between Paul and James. We're just going to be looking generally. Can you be saved by works? Is that possible? Is it possible to be saved by works? Is that the way we are saved? Is that the way we are saved? Next slide. So, what must I do to have life after death? Or how can I, next click, how can I, a sinful person, stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God? That's really the question. And all of these, uh, these solas are answering that question from a different perspective so to speak but they're all related and so we're asking that today can i can i really work my way into glory into heaven into god's favor next slide and so uh the uh the rich young ruler comes to the lord jesus christ and asks him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life that's the question that's the question that the Philippian jailer was asking. That's the question which this rich young ruler was asking. Remember what he said to Jesus as Jesus tells him, well, what are the commandments? You know them. And he says, well, I've kept them. And he's looking to his own righteousness as he speaks to Christ. And then Christ tells him to follow him. And he says, well, I can't really do that because that calls for me to place my trust and faith in something other than my money, my wealth, and my riches, which I'm really leaning on heavily right now. Next slide. So there's some confusion. All right, some passages seem to call us to work for our salvation. And so if we take those out of context, those passages, we might come to the conclusion that, uh, you know what, I, I got to work. I've got to work for my salvation. I've got to work to earn God's favor. Next slide. Well, Adam was called to work, right? He was called to maintain his righteousness by God and to suffer for his unrighteousness. In Genesis 2, we read 
so very clearly, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He was called to work. He was called to earn his life, his eternal life, wasn't he? Adam was called to work. And so if we look back at Adam, we said, well, we're like Adam, then we might get led on the wrong track. Next slide. But Adam was different. Adam was different. Next slide. Next click. God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. Adam was very good. So that's the way God made him. There was no sin in Adam. He was pure. He thought God's thoughts after him. And so now Adam was given the test. He was given a covenant of works. And he was very good. But we know what happened. Adam didn't keep the covenant. He fell from grace as a result he worked sin into his very being and he transferred that sin. He allows us, it's probably the wrong way to put it, to receive his sinfulness. So each one of us has, ex- has inherited the sinfulness of Adam. We are inclined to sin. That's our nature in Adam, not in God. So, Adam's different. He's called to work since the garden. And since Adam fell from grace, we're no longer under that covenant of works. But now we are under a covenant of grace. So we can't look back at Adam and say, well, Adam was called to work for life. Therefore, we are too. No. We don't have the ability because of the sin nature we have inherited from our first father. We can't really look back to Adam and say, well, I need to do that. You can look back at Adam and say, someone needs to do that. But it's not me. Because I have a sin nature from Adam. Next slide. Well, what about Genesis 17 after the fall? Next click. Adam was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, excuse me, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The Lord is about to give Abram, who will become Abraham, the covenant of grace or a fairly full um, um, depiction of it. And before he does, he tells him, walk before me, be blameless. Next click. Leviticus 19, speak to the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Calls to be blameless, calls to be holy. Next slide. Next click. Not just the Old Testament. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Hmm. If we take these scripture verses out of context, we're going to get confused and get it wrong. Next slide. In fact, Jesus commanded his disciples to have perfect obedience, didn't he? Matthew chapter 5, as he is going through portions of the Ten Commandments, as he is opening them up, as he's explaining them, 
he tells them, you must therefore be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. Call to perfection. Next slide. Well, we need some clarification. We need to read all of scripture and to see this theme of faith alone. Faith alone. Think about Isaiah. As he enters into the throne room in this vision, he knows that he is ruined because he knows he's a sinner. He knows that uh, the nation is a sinful nation. He lives among them, and he is now in front of, in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. He says, I am ruined. He, he didn't say, God, wait a minute, let me go outside, do some good works and bring them back. Now, the seraphim needs to fly to Isaiah with a burning coal, touches his mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah did not cleanse himself. He didn't bring good works into the throne room. He had to be cleansed. Next slide. Jesus called his disciples to be salt and light, do good works. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Give glory to your father who's in heaven. This is a good passage. It's something we refer to quite often. Does that mean that he was calling them to be saved by and through their good works? I, I, don't, I don't see that in the passage. I don't think it's there. I know it's not there. Next slide. So there is clearly a call throughout Scripture to be righteous or to obey God. That is undeniable, and that's a good thing. Next click. But maybe one of the most significant verses that we can really get confused by is Leviticus 18. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Next slide. <clears throat> so there's the question. Is it possible to earn your way into heaven? Is it possible for a person to work for the favor of God? Is it possible for a person to do enough good to outweigh his sin? I'm hearing some no's. I'm hearing some no's. I think we have to start, when we think of this, we have to start and, and, and ask that question, how bad is our sin? What do we earn through our sin? Death. Yes. Eternal death. Yes. And it's eternal death because we have offended an eternal God. Our offense, our offense the magnitude of our offense is in relationship to who God is. And so we've offended him eternally. And that's why, as we speak of death, we speak of eternal death. When we speak of God's wrath and punishment, we speak of eternal punishment. Because that's what our sins earn for us, because we've sinned against an eternal 
God. Every single one. Next slide. So that's our problem. Right? There is none righteous, no, not one. What is man that he can be pure or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? First of all, our sin is so great that it earns eternal death, eternal wrath of God every single time. Secondly, we have to remember that we're not righteous, not within ourselves. We've inherited that sin nature that is who we are. And so it's as if God posted this sign at the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve sinned, you can't come in. Although there wasn't just a sign with flaming swords and cherubim guarding the entrance to the tree of life. No righteous for the, no entrance for the non-righteous, right? So click, please. That's our next click. That's our first problem. There are a lot of clicks in this thing. The next slide. The second problem is that even the smallest sin requires death, All right? So we're not righteous. We can't bring that because we don't have it. And secondly, we've earned eternal death. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And then another click, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. So this is not news to you all. You're getting this right away. It's good. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Next click. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. This is not a good picture. Uh, next click. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. It is a precept that is throughout scripture we are ruined in our sinfulness and every single one of our sins earns for us an eternal judgment next slide so what is it to be justified if we turn to the westminster confession of faith we read those whom god effectually calls he also freely justifies he's the one who justifies not us not by infusing righteousness into them. God doesn't take righteousness, place it into us, and then say, okay, now, now work. Now produce something that's going to earn my favor. I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to put it into you. And now I want you to perform. You don't see that. It's not in the scriptures. But by pardoning their sins. He justifies by pardoning, by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. He imputes the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. He takes that which we don't have, which we cannot attain, which Christ can and does, and then he covers us with it. He imputes the obedience and satisfaction of Christ to all those who believe upon Jesus. And they, receiving and resting upon him and upon his righteousness by faith, are justified. 
Faith is not themselves. It is the gift of God. Next slide. And so we saw, as we read from Luke 18, the Pharisee who is saying, God, look at my works. Look at who I am. See that I'm not like them. Not recognizing his sin. And then he is lifting up before God, attempting to all the good things he's done. See how much I've done. He is merely saying, God, receive me because of who I am. And by by what I've done. Next slide. But it was the tax collector, the publican, who is justified, who merely prays and confesses before the Lord, I'm a sinner. He doesn't come close. He comes with a humble and contrite heart. God justified him. Next slide. Well, if we consider the Beatitudes, and we only have a four here, you can click on through them. There are four. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is the kingdom of heaven. They shall inherit the earth. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. As Jesus is giving the, what we refer to as the Beatitudes to his disciples, as he begins his preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, this is where he begins. And all of these have to do with the condition of the heart. Nothing over which we have control. No one can go to Christ and say, look what I've done to my heart. God must do it. None of these relate to works. Jesus Christ never says, blessed are the ones who do really good work. Who exhibit their righteousness before others and proclaim them. No. Poor in spirit, gentle, merciful, pure in heart. Next slide. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's it. Next slide. Next click. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Next click. And saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's simply it. God's word is so clear and so simple when it comes to answering the question how can i be saved next slide consider abraham and what he did to be saved next click he he believed that was it this is the only place where scripture tells us and he believed the lord and he counted it to him as righteousness As Abraham goes and and 
and, and obeys God with regard to his son Isaac, we don't read that. We don't read that as a result of him obeying and almost sacrificing his son Isaac, he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed and he counted it to him as righteousness. Next slide. Consider Joseph and what he did to be saved from his brothers, from the pit, from the prison. Nothing. God orchestrated everything. We read at the end of Exodus, as for you, as Joseph is speaking to his brothers, who threw him into the pit, who wanted him dead, wanted to destroy him. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are. Joseph didn't do anything to be saved. God didn't look upon Joseph and say, oh, you've done so many good works. No, he just kept on rescuing him out of the pit, out of the prison, from Potiphar's wife. Next slide. How is it that so many were healed and made well by Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry? This is just one example. As the 10 lepers are all healed, only one comes back. We're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is one example. Next slide. That's it. God sends his only eternally begotten son. Next slide. And then his son the Lord Jesus Christ allows his blood to be shed and perfectly keeps the law of God. And Paul puts it this way, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Next slide. Jesus Christ called all to repent and believe in the gospel. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Even this, our faith, is a gift of God so that no one may boast. All right, next slide. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Sola Gratia. We just flew over that. Let me stop the.